As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. And it's all that we know, it's the way you lie. give all that we got, BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed, where we sometimes discuss testicular fortitude and Ken Schrader. Yeah, if you didn't listen to last week's show, do yourself a favor. Go back and listen to last week's show, Jed Storytime. Epic. Um, on this week's episode of the podcast, we're going to continue our um, championship interview series with not one, but two awesome guests today. The first of which, reigning NHRA uh, competition eliminator world champion, back-to-back NHRA competition eliminator world champion. That's Frank Aragona Jr. Frank was on the podcast with us a little over a year ago discussing his 2018 world championship. He's back to discuss the repeat performance and uh, what an interesting year it was for Frank debuting a new car, obviously with unprecedented success. We talked about some specific points in the season that I I thought were really interesting to go back on and look at not only his strategy, but also mindset. And he's really good at kind of um, pulling back the cover and letting us inside to exactly what was going on, what they were thinking, and, you know, some of the fears, concerns, 
uh, and emotions that surrounded it. It was a really fun interview, and what came out of it as well, something that always comes out of really any conversation that I've had with Frank, is just his pure love, not only for our sport, but specifically for Competition Eliminator and all that he does to continue to be an advocate for that category. So I'm no doubt that uh, you will enjoy that. We're going to follow that up with the other end of the spectrum because we've got Frank that's been there, done that, right? He's one of the most accomplished racers in all of sports and drag racing. We follow that up with a discussion with young Caden Harrell. Caden is the reigning IHRA junior dragster world champion and essentially for all intents and purposes uses that championship to transition like to catapult from the junior dragster ranks into the quote-unquote big cars and so it's interesting to view uh, you know a similar accomplishment between frank and caden through uh, notably different perspectives right young caden uh with the the racing career out in front of him as he kind of walks through the emotions and the um, pressure and the anxiety and, and all that went into winning the IHRA runoff, the IHRA championship in Memphis, and then what he's looking forward to in the future. So two really fun, um, really in-depth conversations with two deserving champions. So I hope that you enjoy them as much as I do. Uh, I'd be remiss, uh, we're releasing this on April 8th, 2020, which as you know, as you're listening, puts a smack in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. I just want to say, as you're listening to this in real time, I hope that you're doing as well as possible. I hope that for the next hour, we can provide some small sense of relief or perhaps just uh, pleasant distraction. That's, I think, our role here in the one thing that, however minimal, that we can do that we can contribute. One last quick note. Um, we recorded these uh, discussions a couple of weeks ago, and my voice was awful. I was uh, losing my voice, so I apologize for that in advance. Um, just know that it never felt as bad as it sounds, but I know it's going to be difficult to listen to and know that I'm much better now. Feeling great. So, um, but uh, I did want to apologize for that in advance. Caden and Frank sound great. Hopefully you can at least make out the questions that I was trying to form. So without further ado, enjoy Frank Aragona and Caden Harrell. It's time for the big interview on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I joined now on a <clears throat> return visit to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, reigning and back-to-back NHRA Competition Eliminator World Champion, Frank Aragona Jr. Frank, how are you, sir? All right. How you doing, Luke? Doing good, man. It's great to have you back on the show, and, and obviously great to be here uh, for the same reason, right? Yeah, no, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Great to join you again. Absolutely. Congratulations uh, on another spectacular season in Competition Eliminator. Just to preface this before we get too deep into the conversation, your 2019 season, uh, one for the ages, 718 total points, um, seven event wins, literally uh, one event, two round wins away from a perfect season. The only blemish on your record in 2019 was a semifinal uh, appearance at the National Event in Reading. Other than that, it's seven wins. Um, 
threw out a perfect score on the divisional side um, and and capped off a, a run to back-to-back NHRA national championships and also the third national championship of your career, uh, which puts you in elite company. No competition eliminator driver has won more than three championships. You join a group that includes David Rampey and Bill Maropoulos. Uh, that is elite company, my friend. Absolutely, and uh, I was honored to join that group. It was uh, pretty amazing when I heard those stats, and uh, it was surprised me myself, but uh, it was pretty amazing when Maropoulos was the one who told me about it. He came over, and he wanted to take a picture with the two of us at Pomona, so it was pretty cool. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I saw that picture. That is that is very cool stuff. Um, let's go back in time a little bit because <clears throat> I remember discussing with you um, over a year ago now your run to the 2018 championship and your outlook on 2019. And I know that you were you were bullish. You kind of uh, um, I know on on our previous. Uh, interview you talked about the new car coming for 2019 um, and said that it would be sometime mid-season most likely when you debuted it I know that you started the year in the car that you won the championship with in 2018 go back in time with me a little bit talk about the beginning of the 2019 season and maybe that transition into the new ride Right. Well, what it is, is um, it, obviously it was the drags that we were running in 18 that we won the championship with, with the same uh, engine and transmission combination. And we started off in 2019 with that. And we had a good start. We had a runner-up uh, in the Gainesville Divisional earlier in the in the year. And then uh, we won our first Divisional in Division One with it. And we had to run that car in the All-Stars because you got to run the class that you earned points in throughout. And obviously the new car wasn't built, so we didn't run any points in that. So we ran the All-Stars with it, and we won that. Excuse me, we won that. So, I mean, with the old car, it was a great start to the season too. And um, and what we did was we, the new car was finished. We did some testing with it, put the engine and trans combination out of it into an altered. That was our new car. And we found some promise with it right away as expected in testing. We got a few bugs worked out and uh, rolled out to our first divisional race with it. And we won that. And we won best engineer with the car at the race also. And that we went on to the next two divisionals and won those also. So that put us into contention for another championship run. And um, my main goal of the year was to win Indy, and that was sort of why I built this car for kind of a secret weapon. Because in comp, you got to uh, you got to be able to um, willing to lose some index, especially at Indy, if you want to try and win it. And you got to get the right brakes, and you got to drive well. And I felt like I did that the last couple of years, and and um, just didn't fall together. And thankfully, this year it fell together with the new car, and it all worked out. And Let's uh... for the championship. Let me pull on that string a little bit <clears throat> with the sure. U.S. Nationals. You've uh, you've been a mainstay at that event for a long time. How many, roughly? I don't know. You may know offhand. How many how many U.S. Nationals have you attended? I don't know exactly, but I'd say at least uh, fifteen of them. And of all your success, that had been the one event that eluded you, right? Yep, uh, that was the last thing on my let's call it a bucket list that I made many years ago of things that I, you know, wanted to accomplish. And up until 19, that was the last one that was existing. Obviously I want to talk about 
the the feelings associated with winning it this season but let's let's set the context a little bit i'm sure you've had multiple memorable heartbreaks at indy if you're you know talking 13 14 years racing at the the level of success that you're used to like it would be odd for you to go to 14 events anywhere and not win what is your most heartbreaking memory from indy um well, i have so many of them because we've we've been able to qualify number one there a handful of times and that's an incredible feat alone through the years we've had different combinations that we ran very well with but um i made some uh the biggest heartbreak i say would be in in 17 when i lost it to uh brad plorid i mean i was driving great the car was running great and he just got the right brakes um up until i think that was the quarterfinals and he didn't lose any CIC. And every round I was losing CIC because guys were having kill lights against me. I was having kill lights, but it's just I kept losing CIC. And that's the race I felt like I should have won Indy that year, and I didn't. And I was kind of like – I was kind of set up mid-range, like, you know, 20s, 30s. And so then the next year, in 18, I went there with a good car again, and I felt like I needed to be better on a tree. And I went double oh one red the first round. So that didn't work out. So this year back to uh twenties and set up twenties and thirties and uh just have a fast car and hopefully get the red break. Sure. Any um, any particular round at Indy that stood out as uh, as a turning point? Um not really because they they all went pretty much uh down as planned i mean i knew i was gonna be willing to lose index and we just checked our opponents you know do a lot of research on our opponents and we knew what it would take to beat them and where it would have to be on the tree and just did that and when you know a couple guys went red and that helped and it's like i said you gotta you gotta drive well you gotta have a fast car and you gotta have the right brakes and it all came together this year's Indy in particular was um, a bit of a bizarre event from start to finish um, and, and ended up closing into the wee hours of Monday night or Tuesday morning. I'm sure that that didn't diminish the feeling a bit. What was, take me through the, the final, the aftermath, like what was that like after so many years of, of pushing that envelope and trying to, to win that particular event? Well, we were comp was the last final to be run. We were the last cars down the track. It was about I don't know, I want to say ten, ten after ten at night. It was dark. Um, I knew I wasn't going to be able to see completely well at the other end. I had a, a great opponent in the final, David Billingsley. So I just uh, made sure I was there on the tree, and I was willing to lose whatever it takes on the other end. I wasn't going to tighten it up and take a chance of giving it back and. I lost a little more index in the final, but it felt it felt just as good as if there was a uh, hundred thousand people in the stands because I had all my friends and family there, and you know it was just amazing, you know, to turn that win line on finally. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, all right, let's uh, let's go back on the on the season as a whole. Um, we talked a little bit off there. I, I know Jed and I said it <clears throat> on the podcast um, at one point. April, May, uh, like seemingly everyone was ready to crown Craig Bourgeois. Like he got, he started the season off just absolutely on fire. Um, 
obviously no one could uh, predict him kind of tapering off or someone catching fire the way that you did from your perspective from a points earning season um how did that play out and maybe um you'd said you know you started the season well in the dragster and then transitioned seamlessly into the into the altered but i'm wondering if in your mind there was a turning point or a point in the season where you thought ooh this this might be the year that this comes together again yeah i would have to say um as you know as well as i do as serious races we all start out the year wanting to win races and win championships but my main goal coming off of my second world championship was to get the new car worked out by Indy. So that was my main goal. So once Craig Bourgeois went on that run championship was kind of like, just not really in my mind. My main, my main goal was to win some races and win Indy with the new car, get it all worked out. So that's what we focused on. Cause I really thought he was going to run away with it just like everybody else did. And like I said, we went to those, first three divisionals with the car and it was undefeated so probably the second one in Topeka we drove out to Topeka and we were going to run the uh, double so what happened was we won the first race and the first race was there was enough cars to um, be full points 95 points and then a bunch of cars had broke and a couple of guys went home so the second race, there wasn't going to be enough cars for a 95-pointer. And since I had just grabbed that 95-pointer, it made for my um, that made for my third win and a runner-up points-wise. So that, that looks real good for the division. It also looks good for the world if he happened to taper off. So we decided not to run the second race at Topeka, to everyone's surprise. Sat it out. I had my cousin race and super comp just hung out with him and race and then we went home we went to our next divisional at adco and won that and that's when i said you know what we got a chance here we just need to improve on our national score because we haven't raced any national events with the new car and we didn't do so well with the dragster early on with the national events like early in gainesville and stuff so that's what we started to do no i i all came together I wanted to ask you specifically about that event because I remember it creating quite the stir in the pits. Um, but I, I, I remember even thinking at the time, and now certainly in, in hindsight, it looks brilliant, um, that <clears throat> it was a really smart move and really, I, I, I think it, it, you had mentioned earlier like how much research goes into Competition Eliminator. Just the um, presence of mind to realize, hey, this has gone from whatever it was in race run, an 18, 19 car field to a 16 car field. And it takes away the buy runs that you would potentially get as a low qualifier. It takes a yep. points on earning opportunities away. And to have not only the presence of mind, but the, the ability, like you coming off of back-to-back -back wins, I don't think at that point you had lost a round in that car. It's going to be hard to right. sit there while a race is going on, right? You got to feel like you can win it. But big picture certainly proved to be the right decision. Look, I got to tell you, it was more hard than you could even imagine. I didn't, I went up to the division director, Rob Park, and I asked him, when is the last minute I have to hand my tech card in? And I think it was, if I remember correctly, let's say it was, I don't know, 12 o'clock or 11 o'clock, whatever it was. I waited until five minutes before to tell him I'm not going to do it. I could not make the decision. It was just so hard because exactly yeah. what you just said. 
you know, when you're a racer and you're on a roll, you want to stay on that roll. It's so hard to say, I'm not going to race. And I got this, you know, top qualifying car that me and the car were just on the same page. I was feeling great on a tree. It just, it was so hard to make that decision, but knowing what Craig Bourgeois had on a scoreboard already for points, that 10 could make a difference. So I had to, you know, just go with it. Yeah, no, no doubt. And, and to look back on it now, like I say, it, it looks brilliant because not only did you follow up with a win, like you ended up throwing out that runner up at, at Gainesville from early in the season and, and ended with a perfect divisional record. So certainly, I mean, not, that's not to say that you wouldn't have won the second race at Topeka, but had you won it, uh, you certainly would have left 10 points on the table. Absolutely. So it was, it was definitely a good decision. You know, I sat with my dad the next morning and just said, what do you want to do? And he said, whatever you think, you don't want to run it. We don't run it. And that's what we did. So it was hard, but <laughs> I would imagine. Um, I, I remember from our previous um, conversations, Frank, I know a big part of your program and your outlook in general is not only your love and competition within Competition Eliminator, but your promotion of the category. And it feels as though since the last time that we talked, comp is not only um, like surviving, it feels like it's thriving. And I think a lot of that um, comes back to the efforts that you and the other Competition Eliminators put in to keep that class going and, and growing and, and innovating. Talk to me just a little bit about this, the, the status of competition eliminator. Yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent. I definitely think it's thriving. There's a lot more guys getting involved. You can see by the, the car counts. I mean, um, there's been things done with certain classes to let other cars run in the class, like the factory stockers and the Hemis from uh, Superstock. It's helped it a lot. You can see how much helped it in uh, Gainesville at the divisional. We had 31 cars, which is unbelievable for Division Two to have 31 cars. So it's definitely uh, going in the right direction. Me, myself, and the other reps and a lot of the races are doing everything we can to promote it um, on so many different levels, pushing NHRA whenever we can to make rule changes and try to convince them of certain things and just – you know, try to increase participation and hype and get everybody out there and push the races, you know, like telling them if there's anything you could do for them to help them get out there and race, you know, we're just doing anything we can and it's definitely helping. Sure, sure. For our, um, for our listening audience that is probably <clears throat> more tar- targeted in the um, bracket racing scene and the, the super classes, things along those nature, along those lines, for the, the racers out there that like have an interest in comp eliminator or would consider, you know, taking that step, what's your pitch? Like what's your selling point maybe as a racer, as a tuner, like what is it that makes you love that category so much? Well, I love the, the challenge of it. And it's an incredible challenge to make a car go fast in a class. Basically, um, taking an odd combination or a combination that's not so odd and being better than everybody else in the country with it and trying to make it. And then the, the actual strategy of, of just, you know, in every class you have strategy, you got to know what the other guys run, know what speed they run this and that. But you also, we have what I like to call a little bit of bracket racing involved in it because the CIC system. So 
it's not really breaking out, but you're penalizing yourself by going too fast. So you don't lose for breaking out, for lack of a better term, but you penalize yourself for the next round. If you penalize yourself too much, you might not be able to win. So there's a lot of strategy involved in knowing what the other guys are running, what you can run, where you're going to be on a tree, where you think they're going to be on a tree, and just taking it from there. So it's to me, it's just that whole game of making it all work in so many different avenues yeah no i've uh, i've never personally staged for a round <clears throat> in competition eliminator but the class fascinates me just from that aspect like I, I tend to think of myself as a very strategic racer and thinker and that that category takes that to a whole different level um i, I think that part of it would be fun to me that's that's the what I love about it. I just always love that portion of it. You know, I'm I'm constantly working on it. Even before I, I got on this call, I was looking at some stuff from early in the year and trying to reevaluate and see what I could do better. You actually, I don't know if you noticed, you turned me on to somebody with the time slip charts um dot com program. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, you know, he sent me a whole survey of my year last year and it really helped so there's so many things you could constantly study and make yourself better with i'm just always working on it and it shows it shows the uh, the the fruits are definitely there um frank let's talk a little bit before i let you go about 2020 i know that your season has already started uh as we record this you're freshly back from a trip to gainesville uh fairly successful trip as well not necessarily in competition eliminator maybe but a uh, runner-up at the national event in stock so congratulations on that um you take me through that that uh, that trip a little bit if you want and then just in general um kind of plans for the 2020 season yeah, um, we started out as we normally do in Gainesville. We went to the divisional uh, in comp. I went to uh, third round there. I, there was another situation where I just ran into the wrong guy at the wrong time. He uh, he was willing to hit his index in the third round of the first divisional of the year, and I wasn't. So basically just cut him loose and let him go, and he did hit his index. And then I actually lost to the same guy first round in the national event because of the same reason he had a killer light the first one he didn't have a killer light i had him covered but he uh just was willing to hit his index more so, and at the national he had a double oh eight light i was 33 he was set up to go 63 64 under and i just wasn't going to do it so cut him loose and we move on to race another day that's what part of what competition eliminated is about sure sure what um how much or, or how um committed or how what are your plans for stock eliminators is that something that you'll race all season long or yeah I mean, uh, we took the stock down there to try and get some things worked out i had some engine issues with it i haven't raced it much in the last couple of years so we got that worked out and the car's running good but i'm struggling with a little bit of with it on the tree i seem to be on the borderline of having good lights, I'm constantly either double O red to 20 something red. So I was trying to work that out, but I'm going to have to make some more changes to the car. I was trying to adjust myself and I was a little erratic. So it showed because I was red in the final, but I went red the first round at the divisional and uh, change some tires around and see if we can make that work better. But I definitely want to run some more. How different is your <clears throat> process between the two cars? Because obviously it's uh, both full tree, bottom ball bracing, but you're 
foot breaking in a door car, you're letting go of a button in the altered, like what is, how much different a, a mindset is that for you from one car to the next? Uh, obviously they're both bottom bulbs. So I try to keep my same spot, but I didn't bracket. I mean, I didn't foot brake race in many, many years, probably since I was in high school. So I've been letting go of a button for 25, 30 years. And now going back to foot braking, I don't know why, but it seems that when I see my spot, I'm faster with my foot than my hand. So that's what I'm working on trying to figure out. And uh, But, I, I mean, I like it. I'd rather be leaving on a button, but it's stock eliminator. I love the car, and I want to make it work, so I'm going to try to make it work. And, we, and wheelies look fun. Say that again? I said the wheelies look fun. <clears throat> that's definitely fun. Excuse me. I uh, just in doing a little bit of research um, realized that not only um, was this championship your third, which puts you in elite company, as we discussed earlier, uh, in competition eliminator, you also became one of just three drivers now to earn back to back national championships in competition eliminator, joining. Coleman Roddy and Dean Carter, uh, another unique list in elite company. Uh, what are your feelings around joining that club? I didn't even know that was the case until it happened, which is pretty amazing because I watched Coleman Roddy race when I was a kid, and obviously I raced when Dean Carter raced, so those are pretty amazing things. I, I just figured there was more guys that did it back-to-back, -back, but I'm lucky enough to be one of the only three. And I'd love to be the first one to do three in a row. So who knows? Maybe we'll get lucky this year and get the right breaks. I mean, I got some, I got a fast car. I got two fast cars and I got some other combinations we're working on as backup stuff. So we'll just see how it goes. Lots of options, lots of options. Um, and, and I guess <clears throat> that's where I wanted to go with my, uh, with my final question for you, Frank is, um, you're on. You're in elite company <clears throat> with David Rampey with Bomeropolis as the only drivers to uh, to have a trio of competition eliminator championships. Um, what would it mean to you to be the one atop the hill with four? And if you had to handicap it, like how good do you like your chances in 2020? I mean, um, it's it's pretty amazing because I didn't even know that I was the, only the third one to do it three times so when Bill Moropoulos actually walked over to me in Pomona and said he wanted to take a picture with me him and David Rampey because of that reason I was in shock right there and another thing he said to me was he goes I want a picture with just you because I know you're going to be the one to break my record of three and that was very humbling and that would mean to me to be able to do something like that I feel like I'm on top of the world now, winning three. You always dream of winning one, so anything from here is just icing on the cake, but that would be amazing. What is, uh, what's your history with, uh, with Meropolis? Your careers overlap some, right? Yeah, very little, because uh, basically I was a kid racing with my dad when he was sure. racing mostly, so but basically just watching a guy like him win the way he did was, you know, I was in awe of when I was a kid but I know him through the years from just being at the same races he's west coast I'm east coast so we weren't at the same races but we have come across each other and we do know each other and 
he's just always one of those guys that I looked up to in competition eliminator. Sure, no question. All right, Frank. My chances are good this year, but you know, you know how it goes. You, you just need the right things to happen. No doubt. It doesn't. It doesn't. I didn't think you were one to give me bullet bulletin board material, so I didn't think you would call your shot. But the chances <laughs> got to be pretty decent. So. <laughs> I would say you're the favorite for whatever that's worth. <clears throat> so, uh, Frank, again, man, thank you for coming on. Uh, congratulations on another fantastic season. Congratulations on a on a Hall of Fame career, and uh, and best of luck going forward, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. As we get closer to racing season, you'll need to start thinking about which of your parts could use a tune-up or replacement. Keep BTE in mind. For all of your high-performance transmission needs, torque converters, parts, complete transmissions, whatever you need, BTE does it all. Check them out at bteracing.com or find them on Facebook. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And, and, and you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing uh, our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest uh, edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. It's time for the big interview on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. All right, joining me now, I want to give a warm podcast welcome to your reigning 2019 IHRA Junior Dragster World Champion, Caden Harrell. Caden, welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, thanks for coming on to join us, and congratulations on your season and your championship. Thanks. So walk me through a little bit. We'll get to your championship run, specifically um, the runoff in Memphis and all that goes along with that from uh, the anxiety, the pressure, the, the jubilation of winning on down the line. Um, but let's start back at the beginning. Like how, what's your earliest racing memory? How did you get introduced to the sport? When I was five, uh, my papa, my uncle, my brother all went in and got Knoxville Drag Strip in Maynardville, and uh, we raced there for a few years, doing everything, and then I was eight, we had it for about three years, we got a junior, and uh, we just bought a cheap car, and I started running, you know, every Friday night, testing, and then about a few months after I'd been testing, I was, they put me in a race one Saturday, and for a few years, it was a little rough, but after about two years, I started getting the hang of it and getting to know the sport a little bit better. That's the uh, that's the, the tough thing, I think, um, about junior drag racing in general. It, it Obviously, at some levels, it gets split into age groups and things like that, but at the local level, rarely the case. You're not that far removed. Like, you remember what it was like <clears throat> to be the new kid on the block racing the 15-year-olds. Now the roles are reversed. Can you talk through that a little bit as to the, the challenges of kind of growing up, you know, um, 
oh, what's the word that I'm looking for, right? Where you're just uh, trial by fire, right? And then being on the opposite side and maybe beating on some of the younger kids, but helping them along too. Yeah, uh, the first couple of years were rough, really, until about maybe two or three years ago, I started getting where I was kind of the older kid in the group. We were averaging anywhere from 20 to 25 cars a weekend with half of them being, you know, over 13 and older. So my cousin, Keenan, actually, he raced the junior for a while, and he was the hardest one I could beat. Me and him went, like, neck and neck for years. I mean, and then I start – I get where this was my last year, and I've been running the younger kids, and it's – I understand where they're at because I was there. And I just try to tell them, you know, don't worry about it that much. It's just you'll be the top dog in a few years. Just keep at it. <clears throat> Good advice. Good advice. What um, – how long did it take? Or, or tell me a little bit about your, your first win, the first time that you got to the top of the mountain. My first win, I was – I was 10. It was towards the end of the year. We had a – heads up race and we decided there was a few juniors there on Friday night and we decided to have the juniors on Saturday there wasn't like eight of us there and I got lucky and somebody red lighted on me in the finals I assume you're not giving it back <laughs> <laughs> oh that's cool what um <clears throat> what is it like um I assume that there there are some challenges on a variety of different levels that come along with being the the track owner's son. Like, what what is that like? What are some of the things that you face there? Well, everybody, me and my brother and my cousin, we race every weekend at our track. And everybody at first, they're like, well, you are cheating the system and all this. And so, I mean, there's no way to cheat the system. When you stage, it's race. And if whatever happens, happens. But... It gets old with people trying to blame me for cheating, and then, like, whenever we, I, if I if I had to run my cousin or my cousin has to run my brother or something, now that they're both in the pro class, they uh, they all are like just well, they were cheating or they race here every weekend and this and that, and it just kind of gets old. But having your own track, we don't get to travel as much as we'd like to, but. Sure. No, that's uh, that's what I've always <clears throat> said in the past. Like I, I grew up racing at a track where the uh, the track owner's wife raced with us every week, and there was so, always so much controversy over it. And it was silly. She was a good racer that loved it as much as the rest of us did. And it's just, <clears throat> it's not like there's a button in the tower. You know, it's not like you got tower power. And it's like, oh, Caden wins. You know what I mean? But I guess it's it's hard to to see that perspective for some. But I I could see where that would be. <clears throat> really aggravating, really irritating, especially like now I feel like I've got the perspective that I could probably deal with that, but I don't, I didn't, I, I wouldn't say I don't think I did. I didn't at your age. So I would think that that's, that's at times very difficult. All right, let's talk a little bit about your, well, before we even get to your 2019 season, we talked a little bit about your your first win right and how i'm sure that will be a moment <clears throat> excuse me a memory that you'll never forget um is there another win along the way prior obviously to this this kingpin that you know this this world championship runoff 
But is there another win along the way that was maybe a bigger event or over a competitor that you had maybe really looked up to or idolized that when you won this specific race, you thought to yourself, maybe for the first time, like, oh man, like I got something here. I might be really good at this. You know, when, when did that first hit? Oh, uh, 2015, we were at team finals in Memphis uh, at our bracket finals. So there was 15 Knoxville juniors went, and on Sunday, the main event, we all, there was five of us when there was six cars, and we all got by to three, and I ended up having to buy at three. And so the semis on, it was just all Knoxville. And me and one of my best friends in racing, racing the finals, ever since then, that's when me and him become really good friends in 2015 after the team finals win. You win that team finals, and then that's got to be not only it sounds like uh, the, the, the beginning of a, of a lifelong or long-time friendship, but that's got to be such a huge shot in the arm confidence-wise, right? I assume yeah. things kind of snowballed for you since then. Yep, that was my first iron, man. And in the years since, uh, I know you've you've won the uh, the track championship at your home track the last two years. Uh, obviously, leading up now <clears throat> to this IHRA championship, take me through a little bit your 2019 season. I mean, I'm sure, like everyone, you had your uh, your ups and downs. But maybe what sticks out to you is maybe a low point of the season, and then you know prior to um, the the world championship runoff, uh, what was the highlight of the season coming into that? We had motor problems at the first of the year. We got a new motor, and well, we had a motor, and we had it rebuilt, and we just had more motor problems. We couldn't figure it out, couldn't figure it out. And Tyler Kahili built us a motor using all his stuff, like all his parts, and we got that thing two weekends. We had it figured out, and ever since then, that thing, it's deadly. What... Um... How long have you, I mean, I assume you're <clears throat> in the 790 range at this point, or I'm, I'm, now you're moving on to a big car, but for the for the 2019 season, how long had you been at, at that ET? Uh, IHRA is at 12, so since I was 12, I've been running 790s. Gotcha. So basically had the combination, but it was just a matter of getting the right parts at the right time and Tyler coming in to uh, to help out. Yeah, he helped us a lot. That's good stuff. All right, so <clears throat> let's go to Memphis and the runoff. Had you competed? You had won the track championship in 2018, so I assume you had competed in the runoff before. Yeah, we we went in the uh, second round. I, oh, me and the guy were both uh, double O. I think I was five and he was three, and I broke it up two thou, taking like five. Oh wow, that's uh, <clears throat> that's a race that would be a, a barn burner in the in your top bulb hundred thousand dollar to win bracket race. That's how that's how you lose a chance at the world championship in twenty eighteen, huh? Yeah. Wow. What? <clears throat> now I assume <clears throat> you get that time slip, and there's got to be a part of you that says, "Hell, I did all that I could do, right?" I mean, there's nothing to hang your head about there, <clears throat> but at the same time, I know that being in that situation when the wind light doesn't come on, that's a kick in the gut. Like what were, what were your emotions 
at the event and, and maybe leaving it? Well, when I first got the time slip, I was like, you know, just kind of upset. I just kind of lost that chance. And then as a few hours later, I was like, well, I mean, that was the best of the best. And I guess that was a run I'd rather lose on. So, For sure. That's a, that's a good perspective. How um, how many cars are competing at Memphis in each of those each of those years? Uh, I think this year there was maybe 70-something like wow. 2019. Right. So it's even a, a round or two more than what you're used to at home where you guys, it sounds like you have a really good turnout weekly at Knoxville, but obviously this is three times the size of uh, the event, which you travel around a fair amount too. So it's not like this was uncharted territory, right? Yeah. Uh, some of our buddies from local tracks, uh, Chattanooga and some other places are Brainerd. They were all with us. We all parked together and some other stuff. So we were actually there the week before for a team or two weeks before for team finals. And we left our rig and everything with uh, behind the bleachers parked. How um, cool is that atmosphere at the world finals? <clears throat> 70 plus junior dragsters from all across the country. Like, you got your buddies, you know, from the, the local group that are there representing their tracks, but how many other racers in the field do you know? I mean, I've never caught a few of them just from all the sure. years of traveling and meeting everybody, but there were some guys I didn't know that, like, I'd never, they had the big rigs and all the fancy stuff, and I don't know. I didn't really know. I didn't know the boys that were from way out of town, like Texas and all that. Sure. And you, I mean, you've got to, you know, coming in that it's the best of the best, even the guys that you don't know, they've, they've earned the right to be there. Um, that's what I think makes that unique, that event so unique and so special. Uh, and it's got to just be an electric atmosphere <clears throat> coming into it um, this past season, having done it once before and having performed at a high level, just having it not work out, you know, with that run that you talked about round two, 2018, what were your expectations for the 2019 World Finals? I told myself before first round, I said, it's the best of the best, so whatever happens, happens. So that's what I went by all day. That's another really good outlook. Um, <clears throat> as you look back on that what, seven rounds to glory, um, what stands out? Like I always, when I do these interviews, I always say, because I, I believe this in my own racing, like, when you win a, a monumental event, everybody says you got to have a lucky round, right? And I do agree with that. But I think on the flip side too, there's almost got to be one round where you almost, I, I, I call it stand on your head. Like your opponent makes a run that would beat you, you know, more than half the time and you just happen to make a better run at the right time. And then along the lines of, you know, you get away with one, like you, you make a run that's probably not your best, but it lines up at the right time. I'm curious if you had either of those experiences at Memphis when you look back on it. Well, I had, I think I had three or four people red light against me, like back to back. I'm not, I, I think I had three or four red lights and then there was one run that this boy was, he's double one. And I was like 20 or 30, and I ran him out and just set it down, and he took it and broke it out a few thousand. Right. Yeah, so that's when you look back and say, that could have easily gone the other way. <clears throat> Man, the, the numbers that you're throwing out are, are 
so impressive. Like what, let's say, you know, your junior dietary career, particularly towards the end of it, as you're staging up, like what is your target reaction time? Like what are you shooting for? Or what are you disappointed to see on the time slip? Really, uh, locally, anything worse than about 35, I kind of beat on myself a little bit, but up there at that track, I was at Memphis at World Finals, I was trying to be at least 15 or better ever hit. Wow, that's awesome. And I know that <clears throat> the technology in the junior ranks has, has, is still continuing to grow by leaps and bounds, but those cars are pretty freaking good, right? They're getting better and better by the year just on how everything's working. But Mike Boss, who we run, he, I think that's the best car there is. When you uh, <clears throat> come into a round, specifically like those late round scenarios, like how, I guess the same question as to reaction time. Like if you get a time slip that, and whether you ran it wide open or not, like the, how, at what point are you surprised? Like, wow, I was going to miss the dial in by this. Like, what's a what's a common range in ET, and what's one where you go and something's wrong? Well, that motor, the way that as it got cooler, it would slow down, and up over there, it was just I was expecting to lose it uh, five thousand or so a run. So I mean, I was holding a few. But it, it, what's amazing to me is that you, I mean, and I guess it's technology all the way across the board, you know, from the cars that we run um, to the to the pro cars, to the street class, to the junior dragsters, like everything gets better. But the idea <clears throat> that you can predict ET and something like that within 5,000s is, is pretty incredible. And especially like when we come full circle on this, because I started <clears throat> my career in a junior dragster like when they first introduced the class, you know, I was 12 years old in 1993 and I'm telling you, Caden, for the first year that I raced, um, like we literally had, we took the motor off the lawnmower and put it on the drag strap with like 15 something. Right. But if it went 15 something all day, like if the number started with a 15 point, that was a really good consistent day for that car. <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> to me, like with that perspective to see how far it's come. It's incredible. I don't know if you've seen any of that, you know, over your tenure, what's this, seven, eight years, like obviously things have changed and progressed, but I'm kind of under the impression that um, cars were pretty good when you started, no? Yeah. Uh, Mike Boss, like the whole time we were first getting going, he was just coming up with these new designs on the rear and everything. And uh, it's all been changed. Like we've been, as we, go like we'll have the car redone on the rear and just have everything going through like it uh we broke something last year at the end of the year and we had to take it to mock and we sat up there for just like a few hours and they rebuilt the whole rear of the car all the rear suspension stuff just and it's incredible how everything changed yeah, no doubt. Like I said, it's like that in every every category. I, I feel like I cut you short a little bit <clears throat> on Memphis itself in, in your championship run. You came in with the perfect mindset, right? You got to let it all hang out. It's the best of the best. Whatever happens, happens. Um, as it got closer, because I mean, 
it's natural when you get there, when you stage for round one, like we all dream of <clears throat> hoisting that trophy at the end of being a world champion. As it, as you got down to the later rounds and fewer and fewer cars and that becomes closer to reality, <clears throat> what was your mindset like? Like, do you feel the, the pressure setting in? Is it, does it get more fun? Does it get more nerve wracking? What was that like? It got more nerve wracking. I mean, as the rounds went on, uh, and IHRA sets the Ironman, the big Ironman, right on the, like where all the stage beams are, right in the center of the track. So you got to see them when you're staging a junior because you're eye level with them. So, I mean, it got nerve wracking. And then the final round, I was really nervous. And I just told myself what I've been through all day, whatever happens, happens. Who did you run in the final? Uh, I forgot his name. Where was he from? Do you know? No, I don't. Okay, no, 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 that's fine. No, I don't. I don't Sorry remember. to put you on the spot. Take me through the 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 run itself. Well, we both done a dry hop, and he turned his pre-stage on. And I turned mine on, and I was just bumping, and I seen his car jump. I'm pretty sure the clutch hung up, and it jumped deep. So I was like, "Well, I got. I'm gonna get in for they pull him back." So I staged. And tree dropped, and we both left, and we were a ten thou apart. And he got up about a hundred foot, and the car shut off. But I didn't. I seen it like fall back, but I didn't know what had happened. Uh huh. So from three thirty on, I was kind of freaking out. I was looking, trying to couldn't find him. And that's when I decided I better get rid of something. <laughs> sure. <clears throat> when <clears throat> obviously that's a tough tough break for your opponent tough way to go out what broke do you know i think it broke a broke the crank oh geez when and it's probably in that instance before you actually hit the finish line before the wind light comes on but that it hits like it you realize you've done it you're you're gonna be you are the the world champion how long did it take for that emotion to hit what did that feel like well, when I crossed the finish line, it felt like it took 30 minutes for the wind light to come on. I was just like, bro, was looking at the scoreboard. And when it come on, it was just like instant tears. I didn't know what to think. Uh-huh. And then what's, what is the, I know the atmosphere there has got to be just insane pressure, especially um, for someone your age. What is the fanfare like? Like as you make the turn, uh, you know what you've just done, but I assume that the the facility is going nuts. Like, what what is, what was that moment like? Well, when we made the turn, they had all the finalists. We were the last pair to run, and they had all the finalists lined up. I made the turn, and the IHRA officials are right there, and they were more excited than I think anybody any of the drivers were. Right, right. And then they present you with your trophy, or how did all, how does all that work? Oh, uh, well. We all went up, the, all the winners got in the line, went back up the track, and then runner-ups were behind us. And then uh, they, uh, Fabian Brown interviewed us, the announcer. And uh, Don Lauer from Summit, he presented us with the trophies after they'd done their little interview thing. Yeah, I imagine moments that you'll never forget. Your whole family's there to enjoy it with you, I assume. Uh, my uncle, my aunt, my cousin, and then my buddies that were, they stayed and 
watched the whole race with us or helped. Yeah, that's got to be incredible. Uh, congratulations, man. That's cool. Just just <clears throat> hearing you go through it is uh, is a ton of fun. Now, my understanding, Caden, is that <clears throat> you're going out on top, right? There, there's there's no greater achievement in uh, in junior dragster racing. But you, if I understand correctly, are, are turning the page. You uh, are graduating from the junior program. Well, our six shooter uh, southeastern six shooter races between Crossville, Brainerd, Knoxville. Mm -hmm. and London, Kentucky. We got rained out last year in three races, so we got to make them up, and I'm going to run, see, our points do, we run eight races, and we drop we drop one. Okay. As like, so I'm going to drop the one at Knoxville and run the two at Chattanooga, or Brainerd, and I'm then I'm done with the junior, I'm because I'm leading the points in it. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you, where you stood. Okay, so we're going to try to <clears throat> finish that off, and then uh, what is the plan going forward? I got a Honey One Sonoma. We just back half, just had it four length. And uh, a lot of our sponsors come on. Uh, Mosier Engineering. Uh, I'd have to get my list out. There's so many. Some that gave us some certificates. RC Components helped us on a set of wheels. Barker Trailer Sales out of Kentucky helped us on some tires. We're just getting a lot of stuff. We used a lot of old parts we had laying around from our other cars, but we're, we're getting it together. What um, what ET range and what class are you expecting out of the Sonoma? I'm going to run a bottom bulb, no box. Uh, hopefully about anywhere from 670s to 650s. Oh, what a great place to start. <clears throat> Obviously, you've got a, a ton of help around you, a lot of great supporters that you just mentioned there. Um, how your, your family's running the racetrack, but you mentioned several family members racing how many uh how many of your family will you be racing with on a weekly basis there's uh me my brother's got a camaro and a dragster my cousin's got a dragster a 2020 uh m&m and then my uncle so he's supposed to get his pro mod back out he's got a 57 chevrolet with a hemi and a blower so he might be getting it back out mm. nice. family wise that's and the plan for this year is to uh, to kind of cut your teeth in the uh, in the pro class at Knoxville, I assume. Or I'm gonna run no ball, yeah, yeah, yeah. pro. Very nice. What um, as as you look forward, um, I assume it's it, I'm, I'm I'm several years removed from from being in your shoes, Caden. So you'll have to forgive me, but uh, I I remember. Uh, having big aspirations, and I assume that you uh, have the same. What would be your biggest racing-related dream um, going forward? Probably the – I'd like to run the, a big, like a, the million or something when I get like a few years. I'd like to run a big race, a million or the fling or, uh, or another world championship in a big car. It'd be nice. Yeah, no question. Good stuff. What um, <clears throat> coming up outside of of your family? Um, I just know what it's like to grow up at a racetrack and and be surrounded by so many great people and so many that are willing to kind of take you under their wing. <clears throat> I'm just wondering, outside of your family, do you have any one person that kind of stands out that you have looked up to or maybe modeled your racing after? Or, uh, you know. A mentor, so to speak. Oh, uh, 
We call him Papa Mikey Ridge. He's the one that taught me how to drive a junior, Mikey Ridge. I got that junior, and my papa got a, and him were friends, and he taught me how to drive, taught me how to work on them, change the oil and everything, and that's really what got me into it, is watching him and his grandkids race and everybody else. Awesome. Just uh, <clears throat> listening to you talk, Caden, I can tell that you are not the uh, <clears throat> the type of driver that just uh, straps on a helmet and uh, and doesn't have anything to do with it the rest of the week. Just the way you talked about the clutch and the oil change, it sounds like you're pretty hands-on. I assume that that is the same uh, going forward with the uh, with the truck as well. Yeah, we we have 13 race cars between four or five of us that drive. Uh, so we're we're pretty hands on all the time. Getting <clears throat> getting your uh, education beneath the hood as well as behind the wheel, huh? Yeah, like right now uh, we're I'm getting I got a 28 foot enclosed trailer. We're trying to get together. Nice, nice. Where are you at in that project? Well, we got to finish putting the wheels on and then put some new lights on the top and just clean up the inside. Nice. Sounds like a heck of a piece to get started in. Well, man, I'm excited for you. Um, obviously, congratulations on not just a championship season, but what looks like uh, a stellar career in junior dragsters that uh, I know you're looking to, to finish off with yet another championship. And, uh, Man, best of luck going forward. I'm excited to uh, to keep up with your um, progression and growth <clears throat> as you turn the page into the big cars, as I'm sure are our listeners. So, Caden, thank you for coming on. Uh, congratulations and best of luck going forward. Thanks. If you want some, come and get some. Cause I'll be willing to bet that you want none. If you want some, come and get some.
Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.